You're listening to the Meeting Midway Podcast, a podcast of Midway United Methodist Church in Alpharetta, Georgia, featuring Pastor Jenny Andoni. Over the course of the podcast, we'll hear how the church relates to the real-world issues that matter to you and how God loves us all. And now, let's meet Midway. Good morning, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Sunday morning to you. We're so glad to have you here at Midway United Methodist. And for those online, my name is Grant Butler. I'm a worship leader here. We're going to begin our service today with uh, a song you should be familiar with, Here I Am to Worship. So please stand and join. down into darkness open my eyes let me see beauty that made this heart adore you hope of a life spent with you so here I am to worship Here I am to bow down. Here 
An oldie but goodie, right? Yeah, we haven't sung that in a long time. Welcome to worship at Midway. I'm Pastor Jenny, and we're delighted to have those of you in person as well as those joining us online. And those who are online may greet one another in the chat, and y'all will have an opportunity to greet one another outside after the service. Let us now continue to worship our Lord and our God. From an oldie to a little bit more new one here. been different now now that my heart's been found nothing really feels the same I hope my head have been higher and if my voice have been louder yeah something inside has changed I am a mountain move a water walker more than just an overcomer cause I've been set free I am a gospel preacher, heart on fire, freedom singing, testifier, cause I've been redeemed. I am a believer, I am a believer. I know this is not my home, I know I don't walk alone. No matter what comes my way And I have peace through the trouble And I have joy through the struggle Now my hope's in a brighter day I am a mountain mover, water walker More than just an overcomer Cause I've been set free I am a gospel preacher, heart on fire Freedom singing, testifier, cause I've been redeemed. I am a believer. I am a child of the Father, and often no longer, no doubt about who I am. I'm in the hands of the healer, the arms of the Savior. His grace makes me who I am. I am a mountain mover, water walker, more than just an overcomer. Cause I've been set free, yeah. I am a mountain mover, water walker, more than just an overcomer. Cause I've been set free. I am a gospel heart on fire, freedom singing, testifier, cause I'm redeemed. I am a believer, I am a believer. Father God, thank you for bringing us here today. We ask that your spirit bind us together and 
uh, let us lift our worship up to you. May it be a pleasing sound to your ear. In Jesus' name, amen. my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see you, yes, I want to see you, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, open the eyes of my heart, I want to see
As the Apostle Paul did, that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. For your power is needed greatly. We pray for your spirit to open our eyes to your son. We wander in darkness without your spirit's guidance. Seek us out, Lord. Incline our hearts to your word. Establish our steps and help us to understand your will. We mourn in our local community for the victims of a senseless tragedy where eight lives were callously taken in a society racked with sin. May we seek justice in a manner that honors you and we ask for your healing touch on those impacted. As we struggle to cope with heartbreak upon heartbreak, we ask you to open our eyes, Lord, to see the pain of your creation and strengthen us to move with compassion for your world. Lead us to act as neighbors who do not pass by on the other side so that together we may care for all that you have made and with all creation sing your praise oh Lord open our eyes that we may see the needs of others open our ears that we may hear their cries open our heart so that they need not be without comfort let us not be afraid to defend the weak because of the anger of the strong, nor afraid to defend the poor because of the power of the rich. Show us where love and hope and faith are needed and use us to bring them to those places. And so open our eyes and our ears that we may be able to do some work of peace for you. Let us seek after the model, your son and prince of peace, Christ Jesus, who also gave us the model for prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning we continue with our Lenten sermon series, Worship at the Cross. And last Sunday, uh, we're going through different elements of worship. Last Sunday, Grant preached on proclamation. And today our subject is the creed, claiming the faith. Here now God's word to us from the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, selected verses. As he walked along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that, the, so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sin. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, It is he. Others were saying, No, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud in my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and are you trying to teach us? And they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The service of death and resurrection in our United Methodist hymnal, includes the Apostles' Creed, 
that concludes, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. It's a moving act of worship. I believe the congregation confesses, claiming the hope of our faith in a world turned upside down by fresh grief. Time was when everyone who was present at the funeral would be able to recite the creed. Well, today that's unlikely, since most people are nuns without any religious affiliation, or if they do attend church, they are likely to do so at one that has no creed as a part of their worship service. The word creed comes from the Latin word credo. It means belief. And there are two historic creeds of the church, and they are the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. They were written by two respective councils during the early centuries of the church in response to growing heresies. They delivered answers to the question as to what the church believed. When confirmands come to confirm the vows of their baptism and become members of the church, they are asked a number of questions. And in answer to these questions, they renounce the evil forces of this world, they repent of their sin, and they confess Jesus as their Savior. Then, along with the congregation, they are asked questions about their belief. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And the answers to these questions are given in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I'll never forget one Wednesday morning when I was sitting in chapel as a, Stetson, a student at Stetson University, Dr. Clyde Frant, Fant was preaching. And he was an outstanding preacher uh, who to me was worth the price of tuition. Right in the middle of the sermon, Dr. Fant posed a non-rhetorical question to the worshipers. What is the chief aim of man? He asked. And from across the chapel, the booming bass voice of Professor Dr. Steves answered, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. His words echoing across the sparsely filled chapel. Dr. Steves knew the answer because it comes from the Westminster Catechism that he himself had learned for his own confirmation in the Presbyterian Church. If only all questions of faith had such clear-cut answers. Questions, questions, questions. John's account of Jesus' healing of the blind man near the pool of Siloam is full of people who love to ask questions. The blind man's actual healing it takes place in two short verses, 
but the controversy and the questions that follow span the rest of the lengthy chapter of 39 verses. John's account of the healing is a well-crafted one-act play in four scenes. The disciples are the first to ask a question. Paraphrasing a line from Job's friends, they ask, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I like Eugene Peterson's translation of Jesus' response. You are asking the wrong question. You are looking for someone to blame. There is no cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. John Wesley once penned a letter in response to correspondence from someone who had suggested that God sent suffering and sickness as a punishment for sin. Wesley fired back, Your God is my devil. Sometimes illnesses, no doubt, are ones that we bring on ourselves through the neglect and abuse of this temple of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. Things like a sedentary lifestyle or addiction to food, cigarettes, sugar, my weakness, alcohol, you name your bone poison. Much disease, though, like this man's blindness, is a result of the random nature of living in a fallen world. Jesus was putting to death once and for all the notion that a loving God would visit sickness as judgment for sin. After the disciples, the neighbors weigh in with their questions. They want to know, first of all, if this sighted man is indeed their resident beggar. His neighbors have walked by him on the street day in and day out for decades, yet some of them don't recognize him. Though they saw him, I guess they really didn't. Or they may have seen him with their eyes, but not their hearts, looking right through him like he didn't exist. So accustomed they had become to his presence on the street corner that he had faded into the background like the stray dogs who wandered the neighborhood. The poor you will always have with you, Jesus once said. What's one more blind beggar among so many outcasts in the world anyway? Is it him or not? The neighbors ask each other. Sounds like they're the ones in need of an eye exam. After all, it's the man's vision that has changed, not his appearance. How were your eyes opened and where, they ask, is this Jesus who healed you? If there's anyone who knows how to ask questions, though, it's the Pharisees. Like the lawyers that they are, the Pharisees are the interrogators par excellence because those who know all the answers just love to ask questions 
so that they can show off their superiority. How did you receive your sight? What do you say about this man who opened your eyes? Unsatisfied with the man's answers, the Pharisees subpoena the man's parents. Is this your son, they cross-examine, was he born blind? How does he now see? Fearful of being put out the synagogue and ostracized from the community, mom and pop throw Junior under the bus. Ask him. He's a card-carrying adult. We raised him in a religious home. Don't blame us for what he does now. So the Pharisees have the blind man dragged before them for a second interrogation. What is it this Jesus did to you, this sinner who heals on the Sabbath and hasn't been licensed to preach? How did he open your eyes? Questions, questions, questions. It's like a bad game of 20 questions with no winners. The more questions that are asked, the greater the disagreement. Instead of everyone celebrating the miracle in their midst, there is dissension, a split in the neighborhood, a wedge between the man and his family, and disagreement among the religious elite. Dissatisfied with the answers, the Pharisees descend deeper into darkness, falling further and further away from the truth that they seek. Meanwhile, if you notice, the blind man appears to be picking up speed. With each successive interrogation, his clarity grows. When first asked who healed him, he answered, a man named Jesus. Literally, some man. After all, he didn't know Jesus from Adam because he didn't receive his sight until Jesus had left the premises and the man had gone to wash out his eyes. In the next round, the formerly blind man identifies Jesus as a prophet. And finally, during his second bout with the Pharisees, the man says Jesus is a man of God, declaring I don't know who this Jesus is or if he is a sinner or not. What one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Unable to argue with that kind of evidence, the Pharisees do what religious insiders have done throughout the ages when there is a threat to the status quo, to the institution. They throw the man out of the synagogue and onto the street like a cowboy being booted out of the saloon. Yes, everybody's asking questions and looking for answers from the man who has been healed. But you know, I think if anyone should be asking questions in this story, it is the blind man. After all, he's the one whose life has been turned upside down by Jesus' blessing. Because of Jesus' healing, he's been disregarded by his friends, rejected by his parents, and thrown out of his house of worship. 
And get this, he didn't even ask to be healed in the first place. He's not blind Bartimaeus sitting by the road yelling, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. No, he was just sitting there minding his own little clay cup, hoping to get some offering from the pilgrims on their way up to the temple. When Jesus comes along and without any warning, takes some of that silt that washed down from the temple mound and rubs it into the man's eyes. Here's mud in your eyes. Now go wash in the pool. When he does, that utter darkness he has lived in his whole life is washed away with the light of God's love. You know, more often than not, I think that is the way people experience God's light, God's revelation. It comes to them unexpectedly and outside the acceptable religious channels. Some of you are old enough to remember that lady in Conyers who was looking out her kitchen window one morning when she saw the Virgin Mary. Thousands of pilgrims came from all over to see what she had seen. Remember Paul? He wasn't worshiping in the synagogue when he was struck blind by the light of Jesus' presence. He was on a business trip to persecute some more Christians when out of the nowhere the light of the world blinded him. Is it any wonder that people were a tad skeptical? Those who had known Paul's reputation could hardly recognize him afterwards. In her novel, Revelation, Peggy Payne tells of a Presbyterian minister who experienced God's light one afternoon when grilling steaks out in his backyard, of all places. That's when he hears the voice of God speaking to him. It's a revelation, the kind of revelation that will change his life. He, he will never be the same. And the rest of the story tells of the price that he paid for that revelation. Do the leaders of the church rejoice with him? Not exactly. But they do pay for psychiatric care and a paid administrative leave. Those old Pharisees, commissioned as protectors of the institution, are just doing their job, making sure everybody, you know, is following the book of discipline. After all, we can't have unlicensed, unexamined traveling preachers flaunting Sabbath laws. We have boards of ministry for a reason, you know. And besides that, there's no line on the year-end report to put healings of the blind. And if there isn't a place to put it, did it really happen? It's not that the Pharisees are bad people. They're just blind. Kind of like those who would minimize the death and suffering of Asian women. 
massacred in massage parlors because they don't fit into our neat and tidy categories. Shortly after being ordained, Herzen and I were at a district minister's Christmas party. And a colleague of mine, kind of a mentor to me, wanted to introduce Herzen and me to a retired preaching professor. We're, we're honored to be able to meet this esteemed professor. And our friend had introduced us, but when he did, there was no nice to meet you or where are you serving. Instead, the professor looked straight through us like, like we weren't even there. And then he turned smirking to his former student and said, the bishop sure does have challenges these days. To which today, older and less different, I would say, yes, she does. The professor wasn't bad. He just had a blind spot. We all have them, you know. We all do. His was being blind to how God could work outside of the usual channels and call a woman and a Pacific Islander married to each other, no less, to serve in his church. Emory's Tom Long explains, the sin of the religious leaders is that they think they see the truth with crystal clarity, that they think they have grasped with their minds the depth and breadth of God. The true community of faith, he says, on the other hand, seeks to know God, but holds its knowledge in humble hands. It is always ready to admit that everything it sees, it, it sees through a glass darkly. And that God may at any time break our idea of the rules and do something outside the lines. Like healing a man on the wrong day of the week. Or raising a man from the tomb who was supposed to stay dead. Jesus, who doesn't seem to be in a hurry to come back, finally returns in the last scene to rescue the healed man who must have felt, you know, a lot like the church for whom John wrote and for us who, like them, have been suffering while waiting for Jesus to return like he had promised. We're ready, Lord. You can come back now. Isn't a pandemic enough? When Jesus does appear on the scene, the Pharisees have one question to ask. But they ask it of themselves. Surely we are not blind, are we? And with that question, the Pharisees are the closest they've been to seeing the light. God's blessing, God's amazing grace may yet remove the scales from their eyes. For it's a blessing that comes only when we recognize just how blind we've been and confess that it wasn't until the light of the world came 
and emerged from the utter darkness of a cold stone tomb that our world became awash in the light of God's love. The blind man has gone through quite a transformation. With each successive scene, you can almost see his posture improving from that of a hunched-over street person with downcast eyes who in the last scene stands so tall he can look Jesus squarely in the eyes and profess, Lord, I believe. Now it's my turn to ask a question. And I ask it of you. Who is Jesus to you? Just a man? A moral teacher? A prophet from another time and place? Or the light of the world who can take away our darkness and banish it with his omnipotent light? One final question. What do you think was the greater healing? That after his encounter with Jesus, the man who was blind could see? Or that he confessed with his lips, Lord, I believe. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, my friend, if you have never owned the faith or yourself, Jesus comes to you today. Will you make your confession? Lord, I believe. Say it with me. Lord, I believe. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. UNCRO started as the Methodist Committee on Relief, MCOR, in 1940. It was started by Bishop Herbert Welch after the onset of the Second World War to respond to the suffering that was occurring primarily in Europe and, of course, throughout the world. UNCRO's work started then with addressing the problems that refugees were having at that time. Since then, Amkor's work has involved significantly, and Amkor today is well known for its response to disasters, both in the U.S. and internationally. And in addition, Amkor expanded into the area of international development and sustainable development. United Methodists around the world can respond to disasters or human suffering through Amkor. Amkor works uh, with annual conferences, aid organizations, as well as with partners around the world. United Methodists uh, turn to AMCOR whenever disasters occur, whenever suffering happens, to help reach out to those affected. A few years ago, we spent some time discussing the AMCOR mission statement, which says, uh, compelled by Christ to be a voice of conscience on behalf of the people called Methodists, 
Amkor works globally to alleviate human suffering and advance hope and healing. I think a relationship with Christ will bring us to that point where we want to see less suffering in this world. I think Amkor provides the means for that. set free so all my hope is in Jesus I thank God my yesterday's gone and I I'll not be forsaken His love. Oh, oh, my hope is in Jesus. Thank God, my yesterdays, but they're gone. Oh, and I, I will 
is love. I'm healed by his love. You know, we weren't scheduled to have her sing in this service. But after she sang it in the first service, I knew y'all wanted to hear so. As we receive our offering this morning, uh, the video about UMCOR, our United Methodist Committee on Relief, we encourage to give a second mile gift as God has blessed you today. This is the arm of, of the church that uh, goes to people after disasters to aid them and help them. And one thing that UMCOR does is we stay long after others had left to help in, with the recovery. 100% of what you give to that offering goes directly to help those in need. No administrative costs come from this offering. Let us now offer to God our gifts, our tithes, and our very life. Oh 
Now may God go before you to guide you. May God go behind you to direct you. May God go beside you to befriend you. May God rest above you to protect you. May God rest below you to uphold you. And may God dwell within you to comfort you. Now and forevermore. Amen. My chains are gone. I've been set free. You've been listening to the Meeting Midway podcast from Midway United Methodist Church. The doors to our community are open to all, and we invite guests to join us at our services on Sunday. 
We have a traditional worship service at 8.30 a.m. in our historic chapel, an acoustic worship service at 9.45 a.m. in our historic chapel, and a contemporary service at 11 a.m. in our modern sanctuary. For more information, check us out online at midwayumc.org. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.